Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Israel Soto. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. You know, something that we've been striving to do, those of you who have joined this journey, it has has been our most honest and strongest and most visible appeal to reach for God in a more real manner. That's been our desire. Has it been yours? Don't you believe with me that today in this world that we are living, it is so very important that we stretch out even harder to reach for God. The words of Seek the Lord while he may be found have never been more relevant than it is now. We need to seek the Lord. In the many challenges that we are facing as Christians, as the body, as the church, we need to do everything we can. And that's exactly what we've been doing. I have seen it in your lives. I've heard it in your testimonies. I see it as we're leading worship and how you seem to be stretching out, tippy-toed and all, to find God. And I believe that the scripture is true. The Lord told the people of Israel, he said, if from there you will seek my face, you will find me. I want that to be a word for your life because I know that some people are going through things that make God seem so distant. But the scripture says in the book of Deuteronomy, if from there you will seek my face, you will find me. Where is there is the question you'll have to answer. Where is there for you in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of a tough situation in the middle of an illness, in the middle of some kind of strife in your life, that promise is for all of us and for you. If from there, the Lord says, you will seek me, you will find me. And I believe that as we seek him more on a daily basis, you and I are going to begin to see things in this house That may seem unbelievable, but you'll believe them because you know that you serve a great God. Can somebody say amen this morning? You serve a great God. And so we've been searching for the Lord and chasing after him, if you will, with an earnest desire to to know him more. Now we've come this morning to participate of this meal. I have preached many a sermon over the years Concerning this meal, I have spoken to you on the remembrance that we're supposed to be having or have when we come and participate of this meal. I have spoken to you of the sacrifice that Christ made to provide for us this meal and what it's symbolic of. We have spoken many things concerning this table. Now in Scripture, it's probably once a year or even less at times that we go beyond the normal reading of Scripture when we participate of this meal out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 and on. We're going to read that this morning as we get ready to participate of this meal, but we're going to go a few verses down after the normal reading that we have had over the years. 
I believe it will be very profitable to us, especially because of what I previously said. We are seeking God. I said we are chasing after God. We are praying and seeking the Lord and asking God to come and do miraculous things in our midst. Well, I believe that as we go in the scripture and read a little bit and get a little bit of instruction for ourselves, I believe that that will draw us even closer to finding the God that we so much seek for. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to find, again, the normal reading that we normally read when we participate of this meal. And let's read this in concert if you can. The boys will put it up there on the screen. 1 Corinthians 11 and 23. This is what I read to you every time we're going to take this bread and this drink. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks he broke it and said. This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper he took the cup saying. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We normally stop right here, and we, by this time, have already eaten the bread and had the drink. We pray then that the Lord would bless us as we consume this holy covenant placed before us. And normally we dismiss, but I want to go down and make verse 27 now and on the passage of choice for this morning. 1 Corinthians 11 and 27, we continue reading. It says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. You kind of know why we always stop at verse 26, right? It kind of... Shakes us a little bit. We were having such a good time just getting ready to have this meal in remembrance of him. And all of a sudden we have the Lord come speak to us and say, hey, 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 be not so quick. This is not just a meal. And so he interrupts the bread taking, it seems like. I can see the disciples sitting there around the table and everybody's getting ready to eat the bread. He goes, wait before you consume this. Let me say just something else and gain, bring more value to this meal that we are going to participate of. And he begins to read what we've just been reading. Verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many among you are weak and sick. A number of you have fallen asleep 
But if we judge ourselves, we would not come under judgment. Now, please pay attention. It says, if we judge ourselves, not each other. We are really good at judging each other. But the instruction is clear in telling us, if we judge ourselves, if you examine your own heart, I'm not here this morning to judge you. The person next to you has no authority to judge you. But we are given great responsibility in the scripture to judge ourselves. He said if you would judge ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined. So that we will not be condemned with the world. So then. He takes a deep breath. So then, my brothers, when you come to, together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. Put your hand over your heart this morning and say, Lord, speak to me. Concerning the importance of this meal. In Jesus' name. Amen. As I read this passage, ladies and gentlemen, several thoughts come to my mind concerning the attitude of our approach to this table. Unless we look intently to the warnings we are given, and trust me, they are easily overlooked and you'll see why because it's not a good thing for the pastor to come and speak such brash things I, I dare say that over the past 30 some odd years of ministry there are some people who are still holding on to some brash things I might have said we want to speak beautiful things from this pulpit but as I read this passage it, it's kind of sharp but nonetheless important. And so we intently look at, the, if we don't intently look at the warnings we are given, we face a sure possibility of falling in judgment. And so if we are to consider this meal, not just a meal as the scripture is teaching us, then what then in attitude should we have when we come to participate of this meal according to scripture. The first thing I will mention. And I'll just give you quick, three quick things this morning before this meal. Is that we should never trivialize this meal. You know what trivialize means. We should never make it common. We should never make it the usual practice. We should not make it some religious rite. That people come to practice simply because it's good to do it every day for some, every week for others, and once a month for us. But we are to be careful to always bring it up to the highest value of importance. We should never trivialize this meal because it's not just a meal. In Scripture, we see how the potential is that people who practiced this did indeed look at it as some simple common morning, midday, depending on when you take it, 
afternoon snack. 1 Corinthians 11 and 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Why would the scriptures mention these things? Obviously because in the crowd of people that were going to participate of this meal, the Lord would discern that there indeed are people who look at this meal at just a meal. Same chapter of Corinthians 11 and 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Those are hard words. Again, really trying to shake up the consciousness of the people to not look at it at just a meal. 1 Corinthians 11:34. we're all in the same chapter. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home. That is, whenever you need a noontime snack, don't go to church to see if they're giving out communion. Because you're hungry for a little juice. You don't go and say, well, listen, are you serving communion? I'd like to take it as something common, some noontime snack that's going to somehow satisfy whatever hunger pangs you may have. But Paul gives specific instruction on how the Lord's Supper should be observed. We should take the Lord's Supper thoughtfully because we are proclaiming the Lord's death. This here is a testimony of a powerful and cruel death of a Savior who in His love died to rescue us all. How can you look at that at just a meal? That we should be sober. And our thoughts should be sober. This is why the Lord said, use your mind. Do this in remembrance of me. This is how untrivial this meal is. If you put your mind in the right place, you'll figure out that what you are participating of this morning is really having everything to do for you and eternal life. Do this. In remembrance of me, think of my birth, life, death, and resurrection for you. One of the biggest errors committed toward the Lord at this table is approaching it with a frivolous attitude. To come to this holy table without serious thought, coming to participate of this as some simple meaningless little snack, simply done to comply for some a religious duty without the full knowledge of how important it is of what it represents the scripture is clear we face a very good potential of facing judgment and for this we see the apostle mention certain judgments he writes in 1 Corinthians 11 and 30 this is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep now, we understand, and I was not there, but maybe some people actually did heal over and just go off into eternity. But we can look at this metaphorically, what happens to people today who indeed look at this meal as just some nonchalant thing. The things he mentioned truly are spiritual results in the lives of people who ignored the value of this meal. The weakness he may be speaking about is a spiritual weakness. 
The illness he may be speaking about is truly and could be a spiritual illness. See, people get sick spiritually. People get ill spiritually. And even people die spiritually. There are people in this world today, and even I dare say, not in this church, but in other churches, possibly even sitting dead in the pew. Dead to God, dead to the feeling of his spirit in their lives. Living their lives completely numb to the goodness of God. Unable to enjoy the victory in Christ and his strength. Unable to attain good spiritual health and enjoying the abundant living the Lord has for us. Not only ill, not only sick, not only asleep, but spiritually dead and unconscious. So we are called that every time we are offered to participate of this meal, we wake ourselves up. This here represents something tragic, yet tender, powerful, and yet so hopeful for us. That we dare not come this morning and just say, well, we just took communion and we left the church. That's not what the Lord intends for us. It's tragic to ever look at this meal this way. Because we are again looking at the death of God's son on the cross as if nothing. We will be mocking the fact that he came and died such a cruel death for you and I. All because we think this meal means nothing really important. Never trivialize this meal. Let us here amongst us all. Always give this meal the greatest importance. 1 Corinthians 10 and 1 reads, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Listen to what it's saying here. Speaking, obviously, of the people of Israel. Everybody was covered by God. Everybody crossed the Red Sea by the blessing of the Lord, he's saying. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. You see, it was the body of believers. Everybody was participating of what God had for the people. But there was a difference among some, and we'll see that in a second. For they drank that, that spiritual rock that, that flowed water unto them, which is representative of Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness to see the results of whatever it was that God saw in them. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust ever after evil things as they also lusted. And don't become idolaters as were some of them as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up. To play. Do you hear the message? Do you hear the message? People who sat down to eat. Then got up. To play. As if. It was nothing. 
So much the Lord wants us not to trivialize this. The second thing I'll mention to you this morning is the act of self-examination. This is what the scripture mentions to us. Verse 28 and 29 in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, a man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup for anyone who eats without recognizing. Recognizing, if you look for the definition, you'll find it being synonymous to full acknowledgement, being sober of, giving something its proper place, its proper value. To come to this table not recognizing, not acknowledging its value, not putting it in its proper place, not giving it again its proper honor is not to recognize it. But he goes on to say, without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment. But here's the word, he says, if we judge ourselves, we can escape that. We can escape that judgment if we learn to look at ourselves. Now, it's a difficult thing, ladies and gentlemen, because we normally don't get up in the morning, look at ourselves in the mirror, and speak ill of ourselves. We never like to look at ourselves in introspection and say, you know what, I'm a really ugly guy. I'm a really bad person. How you doing? I'm pretty bad. How come? Because I'm a real mean guy. Nobody talks about themselves that way. We normally like to have a good attitude about ourselves. We normally like to look at ourselves as someone who is nice, someone who is willing always and friendly. And so by nature, we are not used to judging ourselves. But yet the Bible says it's important that we look at ourselves on honest scale. To look at ourselves and really look deep in us and say, listen, what am I really about when it comes to my walk with God? How am I really walking with him? Am I fooling the Lord with how I'm handling myself? Or am I being genuine and real unto him? Let me look at me. Find that quiet place for yourself where you have no one else but the audience of you. And look at yourself and say, what about me? You see, because God knows everything about us. He expects us to be honest with ourselves and judge ourselves, to look at ourselves, to see how we can fix these things in our lives that may not be nurturing to our relationship with him. In the Beatitudes that Jesus spoke, the Bible says, Blessed are the pure at heart, for they will see God. How can we ever achieve purity? If not through self-judgment, if not through looking at ourselves and saying, I need to fix this. Have you ever said that to yourself? I need to fix it. I know that I have. I can be really honest with you guys and say, you know what, man? You need to fix this about you. Now say, okay, I'll fix it. And all of a sudden you fall back into the same rut. But you need to fight again and say, I need to fix. I will not be like this person. I will not be like this situation. I will not allow myself to do this again. I need to fix me. And those are tremendously powerful conversations with self. Amen? People come, become depressed. They, they come sad when you see so many things that you've got to fix. But you see, that's not what God is saying. God is saying, look at yourself. And take it one day at a time. Surrender it to God. So that God can change this thing, you see. And the promise is that if we will just do that, 
We will save ourselves from receiving that proper judgment for our stubbornness. 2 Corinthians 13 and 5, examine yourselves to see whether if you are in the faith. Test yourselves and do this. Realize, do, not, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you have failed the test. So there are people who fail the test. There are those who say, I don't care what I'm like. I am who I am, and that's how I'm going to stay. But that's not who we are as believers. We should never be afraid to look at our lives in reflection of Christ and say, Lord, change my heart. Change who I am. Transform me, Father. I know I need not to be like this anymore. Change me. Psalm 119 and 57. You are my portion, O Lord. I have promised to obey your words. I have sought your face with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. I have considered my ways. I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statutes. Isn't that awesome? I have considered myself. I've considered who I am. And I've turned my walk to you. Lamentations 3 and 40. Let us examine our ways and test them. And let us return to the Lord. See the Bible says that one day. On that day. Many people will come unto him and say. Lord did we not do this? Did we not do that? Did we not do the other? Other? And the Lord will say, I really never recognized you. The person that you were and that you are, I don't recognize. You see, our duty and the whole duty of men is to work on our lives to become Christ-like. In the light of Christ, we can look at ourselves and he's not going to look at us with ugly, punishing righteousness because he's commanding us to do so. He's not waiting. Go ahead and look at yourself because once you do, I'm going to go ahead and take care of you. No, he's asking us to do that so that we can become aware of the things he needs to transform. And so we need to examine ourselves as we come to this table. And let me finish this morning. Let us learn to accept correction. I knew this was going to be the tough one. Let us learn to accept chastisement from the Lord. You know, I don't know what your experience is in the church or how long you've been in the church, but I remember for a guy like me, I, my mom was a Christian lady and took us all to church. And, and so I'm, I'm well-versed, and in, 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 even if I was not a Christian, I was a kid, my mom took all my brothers and I remember one distinctive thing in one particular instance, but then later on as I grew, I understood that this is how they did things in the church. You know, when somebody in the church back then, some of you will be glad that we're not back then. When there was some kind of misbehavior in the church, there would be discipline. Anybody? Can I get a witness? Don't make me feel alone. There was discipline. So, sister, I found out that this and the other. Yes? Yeah. And you serve in this position? Yeah. No, you sit there for six months. And you know the craziest thing about all that? They did 
She sat there for six months until the Lord worked in her life, and she progressed from that rut she was in that the pastor saw, that the church saw, whatever experience it was. Now, sister, you business behaving. That's okay. I've got about 200 churches to go to. I'll get out of here. Ain't that the truth? We don't understand correction. We don't. Trust me, I'm the pastor. I've tried to instruct people and say, listen, you can't be doing this. And I'll never see them again in church. Never again see them in church. You know why? Because they'll go find someone who will agree with them. Right, I can do this. He tried to tell me no. Right, I can do this. I, and the pastor over here, because he's got a new bench warmer in the church. No, you sit there. You go right ahead. Correction. Correction. And some people say, you know, hey, listen, let God correct me. But you know what's a prime example of you not receiving even correction from God? That no one here on earth can correct you. Amen? Have you ever told anybody, listen, you need to stop that. Well, let God tell me. Let him correct me. But you're going, listen. If you don't receive any correction from someone you see, how can you receive correction from someone you don't see? It's a powerful thing. And here in this scripture, we see the Lord chastising and correcting. The apostle says, don't trivialize the meal. The apostle says, look at yourself as you come to this meal. And lastly, he said, let the Lord's judgment let him chastise. Let him, when he does understand this, he's disciplining you. He's fixing you up. He's fixing you up. Have anybody ever felt the hand of the Lord fix you up a little bit? I know that I have. I know that I have. I know that the Lord has corrected me. And it's not always easy. I'm not sitting out here saying, like, lay on your back and this is the way to go. You'll be so easy to be worked on. No, no. It's difficult because of our character. You see, if it was all about personality, you can change your personality on a dime. But you cannot change your character on a dime. You know what I tell our couples that I'm going to marry? We have time. Yeah, I've got 20 minutes to belong to me. But you know what I tell our couples when I marry, when I, I'm going to be marrying them? I ask them this question. I said, do you love him? Oh, and their eyes are googly. Like. <laughs> and of course, you ask, you ask uh, him, do you love her? No other man. I mean, I'll die without her. Okay. I said, how long have you been courting? Oh, we've been dating for two, three years or whatever it is. I said, you don't even know him. I said, you don't even know her. Yes, we do, Pastor. We've been through a lot. We've been through a lot together. I said, no. And I think married couples will agree with me. I want to hear a big old amen from married couples. Well, I... I <laughs> Unless you're afraid to get chastised by your wife. <laughs> but you'll agree with me when I say this. <laughs> ah, okay. Let me, be, let me be serious. I say, when you walk up to that pulpit, and I'm standing behind the pulpit waiting for you, and I see you, 
and he's over here going like. <laughs> you come and you say, I do to personality. When you turn around, ladies and gentlemen, it is my privilege and honor to present to you Mrs. and Mr. So-and-so. You go home with character. Come on, couples. They're going to crucify me if you don't help me out. You say yes to personality, and you take home character. Personality works for you like that. You can be the ugliest person, and they're going to give you a ticket. Hi, officer. Oh, yes. Oh, I like your suit. You're great. Yeah, thank you. He lets you go, and you go like stinking cop. You can change personality. You cannot change character like that because character has been years of honing and preparing and chipping, and you are a matter of influences and people that you allow to speak in your life. You see, and discipline, ladies and gentlemen, has nothing to do with your personality. It'll affect it in the end, but discipline has to do with your character. And this is when people refuse to let go of who they are. I was made this way. I'm a self-made man. No, you're not. You are the result of influences you allow to speak into your life as you were growing up. If there were good people, you'd probably end up to be a pretty nice guy. But if there are bad people, you've got some ugly traits about you. No, but there's no self-made people in this house anymore. Not even Adam. He was made by God. Everything trickles down. We are the influences of others. You are somebody else. I look at my dad, and sometimes I look in the mirror and I see my dad. I'll see some of my brothers. I'll see some of my closest friends in me. Stuff you like, stuff you don't like, stuff you want to run from, and stuff you want to embrace. Discipline, ladies and gentlemen, learn this. When God disciplines you, he's not dealing with your personality he, because he knows in a drop of a hat you can say, okay, I'll change it. Why do you think he asked Peter, do you love me? Three times. Because the first and second time, it was easy for Peter to answer. You love me? Of course you know I do. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I, I do. Peter, do you love me? And it echoed deep in his heart. And he knew that God was looking at something beyond just Peter, the fisherman, Peter, the husband, Peter, the friend, Peter, the guy that liked to hang out with his friends. He was speaking to his character. Do you love me? Can you train yourself? And that's when Peter wept. He said, oh, Lord, what are you looking at? You see, when we come to this table, ladies and gentlemen, this is God asking us, do you love me? Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, 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 no. Put it down. Do you love me? Do you love me? Well, you, you, you know I do. Do you love me? 
you'll find yourself putting the bread down and going, Lord, what do you see, man? You know I love you, but I'm wrestling inside. You see it. You see it, God. I'm broken inside. Is that what you're asking? Is that how deep you look in my heart when I come? If I love you? Examine yourself. Let the Lord reach into your heart and let Him fix you up. Change your philosophies and your ideas and whatever you think is right. Change it. Give it to Him. Let Him fix you up. Know that every time He takes a hold of your heart, it's only going to better you. Well, Pastor, listen. If it's about, I mean, you're making it very difficult. I mean, who's going to take the meal? The fact that you know Him. And all of this was for you. This Paul said every time you take it, he wasn't asking if you can take it. When you have a chance to take it, he said every time you partake of this meal, God expects you to partake of this meal. You know why? I'll tell you simply why. Because he expects you to never trivialize this meal. Because he expects you to look inside your heart every time you participate of this meal. Because he expects you as believers and how you profess to love him. That if he sees something, you will allow him to fix it. This is why you need to participate of this meal this morning. Because he said you should. And because he knows your heart that... Every time you come here, you don't come here flippantly. You come here knowing that this represents the blood and the body of one who died to set you free. He knows that. He knows you're not afraid to look at yourself and say, Ah, like Isaiah said, Oh, woe unto me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I have seen the Lord. Like Peter on that boat when he recognized that it was a savior in the boat and he was naked before him. He jumped to hide from him. Just like Adam, they knew he transgressed against the Lord. And the Lord came looking for him that he ran to hide. God looks at our heart and he knows. And if you look at your heart deep inside, there's a lot of junk. A lot of junk in my heart. Stuff I don't even want in there. But he expects you to know how he loves you. That if you'll just tell him and let him, he'll fix you. He'll fix you. Anything that you're going through that might be hindering. There are people who have never taken communion because they feel unrighteous and worthy. You know what it really is? All it is is the unwillingness to surrender and let Him fix it. Because today, you can participate in it. 
I had a man tell me one time, he's, he was with us for several years, and every time we had communion, he remained sitting or standing and never came up. And I spoke to him one day. I said, brother, I've never seen you take communion. He goes, oh, oh, communion. Uh, that's something special. I'm not worthy, man. I'm, I'm full of sin. I'm this and the other. And I could appreciate his earnesty. But I, God does not appreciate your stubbornness. So you know you've messed up. Let him fix it. So you know you rubbed yourself against things that maybe you shouldn't have. Let him fix it. All you have to do is ask him to fix it. The Bible says that he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So what's to keep us, every single one of us in this house this morning, from participating in this meal? Certainly not God. Because he says, come to me. Let me fix it. And you can participate with this, but do it knowledgeably. He doesn't change the rules for me. He doesn't change the rules for you. Let's drink this in a worthy manner. And it really isn't much to that because we have such a wonderful, forgiving, and loving God that this morning as I ask you to stand, ushers, would you come? We're going to qualify to participate of this meal right now. Not one of you in this house will feel unrighteous. Even if we have spoken of judgment, even if we've spoken of chastisement, none of us in this house will feel unworthy. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.